Well, here we are, hockey fans. We have arrived at the week the season begins. And as promised, Dan Mahar and I are going to make absolute jackasses of ourselves on this week's episodes of the OHL podcast. That's Dan, the jackass Mahar over there on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. Listen, it's a tougher name to spell. I get it. Think Rick, the former captain in the National Hockey League, okay? M-E-A-G-H-E-R. That's where you'll find Dan on Twitter. We had that question this week. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. And one more quick point before I shut up on the introduction of this episode. Just for all you whiners that complain all the damn time, all you do is talk about the Western Conference. All you do is talk about the Kitchener Rangers. We're starting with our Eastern predictions. So put that in your pipe and do something with it. I'm kidding. We love the back and forth. That's what this is all about. Send us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Okay, Dan, before we get to our Eastern Conference predictions and begin the process of making jackasses of ourselves, uh, some movement in the Ontario Hockey League this past week. Jack Beck, now a Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound, and Mark Boudreau, now a Mississauga Steelhead from, so Jack Beck from Ottawa to the Sioux, and Boudreau from the Sudbury Wolves to the Mississauga Steelheads. Yeah, I'm actually, frankly, surprised there hasn't been a little bit more movement. There's some teams that this they're getting late in the stages here before the, the season opener, and this is when you usually see some of those overage situations cleared up and a, a little bit of housekeeping going on. So the fact that there were only two trades was a little surprising, but uh, right off the top, I mean, obviously good moves for the teams acquiring these. You're never going to get a cheaper time to acquire overagers than now. Um, closer to the deadline, some of these impact players are going to cost you a lot more. So particularly love the Jack Beck to the Sioux trade, second and a third for Sioux. What a great pickup. Yeah, I agree. It's a nice fit for the Greyhounds, which remember one of those teams that was in the running as a Memorial Cup host for 2024. So obviously the Greyhounds believe, at least when they were making the bid, that they might have had a team to go for it. Adding a presence like Jack Beck certainly isn't going to hurt a team that I think is still a little bit on the young side. And uh, Sudbury Wolves, or pardon me, the Mississauga Steelheads, I think we're looking at the same sort of thing with a team that's on its way up. You and I like a lot of the moves they made at the deadline last year. I know, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, when we get into our Eastern Conference preview here and our bold predictions. But uh, a presence like Boudreaux, I think, goes a long way with a developing, younger Mississauga team. Yeah, for sure. These these moves just help bolster, like you said, I think, like you said, we'll get into it with predictions. But I think Mississauga is one of those teams that might be kind of a year away from from a go-for-it year. So having that presence in the room to help those those guys who are about a year from blossoming is just a terrific move. One of the other things I just wanted to touch on before we get into the prediction-making game is Jabril Toure. Uh, so sticking with Sudbury, who traded Boudreaux to Mississauga. But what a cool story. We could talk about, I mean, look, Colby Barlow signs his entry-level deal. Yes, of course he did. But Jabril Toure goes on an amateur tryout with the Ottawa Senators and comes away with an NHL contract. Shades of uh, Arbor Jackeye with the Montreal Canadiens a couple of years ago. Look, I I loved Toure's game when I saw him last year. I think he's still a little bit of raw material, but obviously the Sens saw something they liked very much, and why not? I love stories like this, and good job by Jabril Toure. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, the analogy to Arbor Jackai is, is is interesting just given the the way this evolved. I think I've never seen a case quite as unique as, as Arbor's, 
just in terms of the pandemic and how that played in the development. But Toure, I'll tell you, you know, these kids go to these rookie camps often unsigned and you think oh, it's just a token throwaway weekend, but lots of them are getting noticed, getting ELCs, getting signed like, like Toure did. He, he went and made the most of his time with that camp. He dropped the gloves with, uh, with Riley McKay in the rookie tournament, uh, obviously had about a foot on him. So did pretty well in that bout. Uh, but aside from that, in a hockey standpoint, Toure was, was a really calming uh, presence on the ice, that whole rookie tournament. And I think when you're projecting NHL players, he's clearly got the size, he's clearly got the reach. And you look at just the the presence he had on the ice and the positioning was, I felt better than I had seen from him in the past. So teams can kind of project a kid that, that improves like that over a short time and obviously did some good work over the summer. So great on, great on Toure for landing that deal. Now you're making me think just a little bit more and I wish I had looked this up. So feel free to send your corrections just to me, not to Dan at OHL podcast at rogers.com. That's the email address. But in the comparisons to Jack Ian talked about the pandemic playing a role in that, but the Jack Eye story too, as a, as a walk-on into the Ontario Hockey League before signing as a, a walk-on into the National Hockey League and earning that contract. Toure came over, I'm trying to remember the, the details of the story, but I'm almost positive he couldn't really find a home in the Quebec League, so came over to Ontario. And somebody, somebody told me the story at one point, like some player just looked at the size and thought this is the kind of guy we need anyway. There are even more similarities than I first thought, even with Toure's entry into the Ontario Hockey League from uh, Quebec, where he would have otherwise been playing in the queue, I would assume. So pretty cool story all around. Yeah, and you see a kid Toure's height, too. Sometimes it takes a little while to grow into that body and that frame. So what these guys really need to get a sense for is how smart is the kid? Like, how how is he picking up on these things he needs to develop? And there there's elements of that progression too in the skill game where uh, a player that size if, if, if you see some potential there with with the puck handling game because obviously you can't teach size so he had that in his corner already but yeah quite a quite a progression for him all right are you ready to get into this as the season approaches and and lay it on the line with our predictions for the eastern conference we'll save the west for friday but the east is scheduled for today these things make me nervous dan i don't know about you I've given in far well. So here, here's the thing. Like <laughs> you referenced how we're going to make jackasses of ourselves. I just embrace that. I own that. So I know that there's going to be a lot of people annoyed with me after this episode. Cause they're going to say, well, well, what on earth was he thinking? Just keep this in mind. If I predicted your team to do poorly, I guarantee you that's, that's going to make them do well. So just, I'm in your corner. If I say bad things about your team. So I'm with you on this too. I have absolutely embraced it. I don't even know why we fall into the trap because I think this is the oldest gimmick in the book, right? Let's make our predictions in the preseason and tell you exactly who's going to win the Eastern Conference before a regular season game has even been played. What a great idea. So let's get into it this way. I just got the sense from the text messages we exchanged earlier today. And just so I can draw back the curtain for you on how this podcast comes together, Dan and I will share via text some general ideas. We knew this was going to be our week for predictions. And in our back and forth texts today, I think I think two things. I think we started with the same feeling of the team that was going to win the East and then kind of sort of started leaning another way, but couldn't believe we were leaning the way we were leaning. And here we are. So 
what team were you initially thinking might be the class of the East this year? Just give me the team and I'll see if I was on the same page. Well, I, I wish I could answer that question for you, Farwell, but without kidding you at all, I have revised my Eastern Conference predictions six or seven times in the last three hours. So I'm not even sure I could tell you what team I had in, in winning the conference at the point I spoke to you, but I believe I actually might have had the 67s up there. Okay, interesting. I had initially, like coming in, I kind of had my mind made up and then... I read a little bit more and changed my mind. So sorry to the Barry Colts, but that's who I had at the top of the East. After doing some more reading, and I'm coming into this now with a different team, I'm not sure about who are where are you at now? And then we'll talk about how we got there. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just add on to that because I did have the Barry Colts. They were they were I had a few teams I was toggling for first overall. And Barry was right in there to the end. But yeah, like you said, and the more I dug, the more I second guess myself I, I i dropped barry down a couple slots but you may think i'm nuts but the team i landed on believe it or not first time on this episode i'm gonna make a jackass of myself i've got the sudbury wolves so i hope you enjoyed this episode of the ohl podcast because there you have it the sudbury wolves are going to win the eastern conference this year some way somehow we're not exactly sure okay we'll we'll get into more of why we think that might be the case. But let's just talk generally about the East because both you and I seem to be on the same page with this too. It's almost a a coin toss, like four or five teams you might be able to make a case for. And no disrespect intended, as I started off by complaining about whiners who say we don't talk enough about the East, but come on, the West is the class of the Ontario Hockey League this year, right? And listen, I've been around this league long enough to remember all the conversations about West is best. And it was for the better part of a decade, we would argue the Western conference had the stronger teams, the better players, yada, yada. There's no question that pendulum has swung in the past five years or so. Thanks in large part to Hamilton, Ottawa, the Oshawa generals were in that mix. Nonetheless, you look at it this year and, and I'm sorry, but it looks like the, the power is absolutely in the West. And you got a bunch of these teams in the East, Dan, where you're just trying to figure out who might have the jam to emerge from a, a field that might have a lot of parody in it this year. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about these things for quite a few years, Mike, and I, this might be the hardest year I've ever had for predicting the Eastern conference, just because it's a unique year. There's a lot of good, not a lot of great, and they're all kind of clustered in that middle. And you could make lots of arguments for lots of teams, but typically in the OHL, you have teams that, sink a little bit based on losses that were really good the year before and you have other teams on the horizon coming up and that can be a pretty drastic swing but this year i felt in the east like the teams ready to take a step back are not taking a huge step back and the teams coming up are not taking a massive leap forward so you had a bunch of them meeting right in the middle and you had to sort it all out and that's that's why these predictions were tricky so i had barry in mind personally at the outset because last year was a team like a few others we talked about that I thought may have underachieved based on what we thought, but there was also that waiting game for Brant Clark. So I thought to myself, okay, Brant Clark obviously gone, but hello, Edward Saleh, and I think the Colts are in pretty good position. Then I start looking around a little bit more, and I realize how much veteran leadership they lost. And you start looking, where do I have them? There they are. You start looking at no, uh, no Veerling, 
uh, no Cardwell. Like it just goes on from there. Uh, no Declan uh, McDonald for the Barry Colts. And all of a sudden I'm thinking you're a little bit thin. I'm, I'm curious about you landing on the Ottawa 67s because I looked at them in similar fashion. Here's a team that graduated a ton of talent, just moved Jack Beck up to the Sioux. Three out of the last four regular season titles have been in Ottawa. I, I think they'll be a tough team to play against. I think there will be low scoring games, but I don't know how you replace guys like Matir, Minchikov, Roar. In fact, you don't. So what makes you think the 67s can come out of the East? Yeah, well, Mike, I think I should qualify my methodology because the first blush is always talent on the roster, obviously. Who they got coming in, who they lose. That's first blush. And often for, you know, you're predicting NHL teams, that that's a lot of the battle. For junior, I think I factored more heavily later in the day on historical track record of competence, what, what the organization's been able to do year over year, coaching, development, all those things. Uh, so the Ottawa 67s are rarely bad. They've had Dave Cameron at the helm for, for a couple of years now, have been very good. I think everyone would agree that their goaltending is right at the top of the league. Goaltending is a huge piece of the puzzle. A couple great pieces on D, some question marks at center, uh, but not the Ottawa 67s have a track record of guys from deeper in the roster stepping into those roles late and not missing a beat. And I think of a guy like Brad Gardner, who played a depth role last year, looked great in the preseason this year. Could he slot right into one of those roles and, and have the 67s not miss a beat? And you know how tough it is, Mike, traveling to the to the Civic Center to play the 67s on a weekend. So I think all of those factors weighed in. I think that the sum, again, is going to be a bit greater than the parts. You know, I think it's a really good analysis because that organization is so sound from top to bottom, right? The way James Boyd and company have built this team, you're absolutely right when you talk about how well coached they are. And when you're up against uh, nine other teams in the conference that you and I just kind of acknowledged are a little bit mushy, like you just it's like a bunch of similar teams. So it's possible that a team like Ottawa could come out on top. I might lean a little bit more Oshawa's way, even finishing ahead of Ottawa this season for similar reasons. Again, you look at Oshawa, the tradition there, how well run it's been over the past decade since that 2015 Memorial Cup, probably even before that. I'm just throwing out, you know, that is some measuring stick here. But then too, the players that are coming back with your Callum Ritchies, we're going to see a lot from Beckett Seneca, who we've talked about already as a player to keep our eyes on for the NHL draft next year, right? They're very well coached. I think they're decent in goal. If, if the Jacob Oster they got from Guelph last year is the same Jacob Oster that shows up this year because his numbers went up, his save percentage up by a full half point and change goals against average down by almost a full point after being acquired from Guelph. I, I get the feeling that maybe, just maybe, the Oshawa Generals could be a force in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, that's interesting, Mike. That's a team I waffled on a little bit because you just rhymed off some of the names. I'd add in Ben Danford there on the back end. They've got they've got a lot of pieces. Uh, got Dylan Robrek back, uh, who really came on in the second half after the trade deadline. Oshawa's got a lot of pieces, no doubt about it. And I waffled on them a little bit of where to place them. And I think ultimately the uh, fans of Oshawa are not going to be thrilled with where I landed. But keep in mind, I think it's going to be one big cluster. So I'm not saying there's going to be a huge point difference from second to seventh in that conference. I haven't been able to really figure out the Kingston Frontenacs. And again, I made reference to this with the Sioux already. 
in the talk of the trade of Jack Beck, the Kingston Frontenacs were another team that thought they would have a team to compete for a Memorial Cup. Now, obviously, we're talking as the season gets underway. We're not factoring in any trades that get made along the path to a potential championship run. But this is a team in Kingston that, again, I'm looking at. And look, I like Matthew Soto a lot. I like Owen Outwater a lot. What really is the season for Ethan Miedema? Trying to figure that out. Didn't mind him in Windsor. Was it a four-goal game he had, I believe it was, after the trade to Kingston last season? This guy has shown some flashes. What's he going to do when he is the man on an up-and-coming team? I guess we'll find out. And is Vicari ready to carry the mail in goal for the France? So much like I think you just referenced with Oshawa, how do you how do you determine where the France end up with a bunch of sub? I might add North Bay to the same kind of similar conversation here. Yeah, so actually, I would separate them a little in my mind because I have in my predictions, I have Kingston Oshawa running 6 7 in the conference this year. And when I first looked at Kingston, first thing that jumped out at me is, with all due respect to the graduating players, not really any significant blows on the losses to Kingston. So they're returning most of the roster, and you start to look at the pieces, and they got a, a, a great rookie there, Tyler Hopkins, who I don't expect huge impact from this year, but a, a good piece will get lots of minutes. Quinton Burns, you know, I love him on the back end. Not sure about the goaltending because, I mean, right now they're running J.J. Slaco as the backup. How many starts is he going to be able to field? Hasn't been terribly sharp in the preseason. Might still be uh, inexperienced there. And, of course, the track record, Mike. We talked about the track record. Hasn't been great in Kingston of late. So I think all those factors swirled around my head. And I thought when you're a coin toss between Kingston and a couple other teams in the mid-pack, I, I opted for the other teams. So North Bay, I think, I think it begins and ends with Dom. DiVincentis and obviously Ty Nelson being there. But when you've got goaltending the likes of DiVincentis, you've got a chance any night of the week. Yeah. So Mike, that's the one I, I walked on a lot and I ended up having them third in the conference and people might say, what? I like how did they lost? Look at the talent they lost, but you just mentioned Ty Nelson might be the best defenseman in the league this year. DiVincentis probably the best goalie in the league this year. And what I really love about North Bay, so in the run they had last year, a lot of the young kids, Anthony Romani, et cetera, gained some valuable experience and leadership experience, which showed in the preseason. But I love, love, love their overage contingent. And you can't underestimate that. You've got the options they've got available to them still running with four. You know, you might get Zito back. You've still got Justin Erdl there. You've got uh, Christopoulos on the back end, Paul Christopoulos and captain Liam Arnsby's there as well. So you're going to have three impact overagers. And I think any time a championship caliber team returns three elite overagers on top of the other players you just mentioned. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, now this North Bay team is going to be a tough out in that conference still. So I, I love what they've got. It's funny. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, you would have thrown me, seen me throw my head into the air and laugh a little bit when Dan mentioned that overage contingent, because I put a little asterisk beside North Bay for that very reason. Is there a better crop of OAs returning anywhere in the league, let alone the Eastern Conference. And I am with you 100% on that. I wonder, though, I wonder, because these guys are obviously going to be big pieces of the battalion lineup. 
And then when January 10th rolls around, is one of these pieces attractive enough to get a tidy sum back for Adam Dennis as the general manager and help to restock some of what the team spent last year in its run to a championship. So how that all factors into the second half of the season and where the battalion ultimately finish up remains to be seen. But I thought this is a team that graduated some talent, had its run last year and ends up taking a step back. Third might be high, but again, we're talking about the Eastern conference here where neither of us seems all that confident in the team that we'll get around to shortly. Is it fair to say, Dan, that we are going to agree that it's Niagara and Peterborough that are missing. They're on the outside looking in when the playoffs roll around in the East this year. Yeah, I looked at, I looked at the 10 teams up and down multiple times to make sure I wasn't missing something obvious before I put Peterborough out of the playoffs. And, and I have a big asterisk here for Peterborough fans because I think that roster as it stands today is definitely a playoff team, probably mid-pack. They've got that much talent returning. But going on a lot of the writing on the wall, a lot of the tea leaves, I think the point you just made about the trade deadline, Mike, I think all the signs are pointing towards Peterborough for sure, selling, likely selling Michael Simpson and Ned at some point, probably trading Owen Beck, lots of interest in in Maillet on the back end, probably going to move as well. So when you look at the key pieces they have that are likely going to be traded, that, in my mind, relegated them to ninth in the conference. All right. And... Finally, before we get into talking about the team that, at least as we begin this episode, we're agreeing on, so it's going to go on the record. No no chance to turn back now. At the risk of pumping this team's tires too much or f- sounding as though I've jumped completely on the bandwagon, but gosh, have I liked the way the Hamilton slash Brantford Bulldogs have conducted themselves in this league over the past five years, right? The OHL championships in 18 and again in 22 under Steve Steos. Matt Turk was working alongside Steos. Steos graduates to the National Hockey League. Turk is right there to keep things going. And I became, well, I was a Nick Lardis fan before the trade last season, but I, I really became a fan of those Bulldogs. What were they called? The, the bunch of misfits or whatever. Yeah. After they, because they're run the year before, they sold off everything. And yet, that team, the still Hamilton Bulldogs last season, were as tough to play against as anybody, had one of the best records post-trade deadline as any team in the league, and this was a bunch of misfits that was supposed to basically tank the rest of the way, and they didn't. So what does that mean coming into a brand new season with a rabid fan base? I, I see them as a bit of a wild card. The other wild card I see in all of it, though, is Sahil Panwar not being there anymore, graduating out of the league. And I know it's not like we're talking about Owen Beck here or anything like that, but goodness, Sahil Panwar really found himself as an overager and and was a key piece of the Bulldogs offense last season. So what it looks like in his absence, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Sahil Panwar really reinvented himself, especially post-trade when he got to, to Hamilton last year and was a huge piece of their offense. But yeah, I'll tell you, like I have them slotted in fifth in that conference. I know on paper, they don't look like the fifth place team. But what I love about Brantford is all those things you just mentioned about how Jay McKee, what he gets out of that team. But what I really like about them is the bottom end is not that low in terms of league average. They they get a lot out of the depth spots in their roster and they're a big team. They're a heavy team. They're not a fun team to play. So I think over the course of the season, 
they're going to start to wear down opponents. They're going to start to figure it out. They've got some high-end talent uh, that you just mentioned. Some of the guys that have the, you look at Florian Jackye with the net front presence. Patrick Thomas had a nearly a point of game last year. And of course, Lardis, your buddy. Uh, I, I think Brantford is, again, I, I used the term already when I talked about Ottawa, but I think similarly, some, the, the sum is greater than the parts in, in Brantford this year. We'd probably be remiss if we didn't at least give a little bit more mention of the Mississauga Steelheads. We touched on them with the Boudreaux trade, obviously. Again, there are young players that they went out and acquired at the deadline last year that we like an awful lot in Porter Martone and Angus McDonnell. These will be centerpieces of a team that, again, has graduated a guy like James Hardy. That's somebody that they'll miss. Mississauga last year was a bit of a mystery wrapped inside an enigma, weren't they? We thought they would be a little bit better. Then they sold off at the deadline. They bring back these really nice assets. And now it's absolutely, sorry, Mississauga fans, the few of you that there are, it's rebuild time in the Steelhead community. But you've got some really nice pieces there. Yeah, actually, Mike, I got them fourth in the conference in my predictions. Really? And, and the reason being, I just think there's an awful lot there. I think they're clearly going to defend well. They're very well coached. They're, they've got, I mean, I'm one of the players I'm most excited to get a look at this year is Ivankovic and You don't see goalies picked seventh overall in the draft very often. That, that says that the scouting community felt he was head and shoulders above his peer group. Uh, I know he won't get a ton of reps, but you got leanders there uh, tutoring him. You've got lots of tools in the back end. I, I thought uh, up front, you might see some struggles to score with the graduations you talked about with James Hardy, but when you've got Porter Martone, you've got Angus, Angus McDonnell, you've got a bunch of well-rounded players that just work, work, work there. So I see an awful lot uh, of tools at the disposal of Mississauga, and I'm I'm a bit of a believer in them this year, Mike. That's I, I love it. And you know what? I hadn't even really considered the Ivankovic factor comes from some OHL goaltending bloodlines, and dad didn't talk his son out of going in and playing the same position. But great point. You don't get picked that high by accident, that is for sure. All right, so I think we both struggled landing on the Sudbury Wolves as the team in the East this year, simply because, no disrespect intended, I love the wooden slats and the beams in your ceiling. I love your raggedy old stuffed wolf. I love the coffee shop. Shout out to the Old Rock Roastery across the street from the Sudbury Arena. But how in hell do you pick the Sudbury Wolves to win the Eastern Conference? That's kind of where I landed with Barry still sitting there making me wonder whether or not I'm out of my mind. And have, following this conversation, should I have stuck with Ottawa, which was never really on my radar as a conference team? Should I have had Mississauga higher? I don't know. But I've got the Sudbury Wolves and the return of one of the winningest coaches in franchise history and Ken McKenzie as the team to beat in the Eastern Conference this season. Yeah, Mike, this was a huge struggle for me because I know that whatever team you put first over, everyone's going to say, wow, you think they're the cream of the crop. Well, it, like we said, again, it's context, context, context. And we think this conference can be so tight. We're not saying this is head and shoulders above. I just think they're going to be a, a, a nose hair above the rest because like you just referenced, a ton of talent there. It's just how are they going to put it together? Because lots of Sudbury Wolves iterations of the past several years, we said, wow, it's there on paper. Where is it on the ice? And it hasn't quite materialized. But I think they started making progress last year, as you mentioned. They they shored up the goaltend. We love what Nate Krawchuk did in, in limited action last year. And then they went to the import draft to, to round out their goaltending. They've got 
all kinds of firepower fun. Quentin Musty is going to have a massive year there. I love what Koka Delich brings. You've got, you look up and down that lineup and you just see talent, Mike and firepower. And you know, again, it's another tough trip for teams going into that barn in Sudbury. So on, by, by the weight of evidence, I, I just gave them a nose in this Eastern conference so far. Five NHL drafted players in that Wolves lineup. Touri, who we just talked about, signed, but with an ATO invite to Ottawa. I think the challenge for Ken McKenzie is going to be because, look, I'm, I'm not trying to be that guy, but history has shown us that even when the talent is there for the Wolves in the past, it just doesn't materialize for whatever reason. So I think the the challenge that's in front of Ken McKenzie and the Sudbury Wolves organization this year is to essentially live up to the billing. Dear Sudbury, you have a legitimate chance of making a run to an Eastern Conference championship this year, which would give you a berth in the OHL championship and that precious first opportunity to a Memorial Cup. Are you up to that challenge? I guess we've got 68 games to find out. Yeah, Mike, and, and I, you hit the nail on the head for me. This is why I had trouble writing down that uh, that name Sudbury at the top of the standings because of what you said, because of that track record of not quite doing it. And I know when he first came in the league, there was some criticism for David Goyette. Did he have that drive? Did he have that physicality? Did he have that ongoing engagement that you need to be a winner? Well, I think you really tried to answer some of those critics last year. And and when you look around the league and, and you look at these duos, I mean, there's a couple of potent ones, particularly in the West, but I'm not sure there's a, a tougher duo staring down the offensive game right now than, than Goyette and Musty. So I think there's a lot. And we didn't even mention guys like Jacob Chromiak on D. Like This team is loaded for bear. And so I, I hope they prove us right for a change here, Mike. Well, and now that you just mentioned some of those teams in the West, I'm sorry, Sudbury, that even though this could be your year to return to an OHL championship, you might be chumming the water for the guys in the West because boy, does that look like a strong conference this year? Okay. I I promised to rectify this in time for Friday's episode, but I get the sense just from this conversation, Dan, this is how much I plan. We just go back and forth on texts. I'm telling you, then we hit record and here we are. It sounds like you actually took the step of ranking teams one through 10. So we know that Peterborough and Niagara are going to miss. I didn't, I didn't do that. I'll fix it for Friday. I'll give you my one through 10 in the West, but since you did the work, put your entire, I've just stuck my, the, the hair on my chin out here. You stick your whole neck out, Dan, and tell us how the Eastern conference is going to finish this year. I'm going to write this down, man. All right, Mike. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I'll, I'll be the one to make a jackass of myself here. So this can go on record so people can mock me later, but I've got Sudbury, got Ottawa. I've got North Bay. I've got Barry. Sorry, I might have I might have uh, misnumbered them a little bit in our cough, but I have Barry uh, at four, Mississauga at five, Brantford at six, Kingston at seven, Oshawa eight, Peterborough nine, Niagara ten. Uh, and I know that that's not how it's going to end up, but I think after my multiple revisions, that's what I landed on. And I think if anything, probably the one I'm least confident in right now, Mike, is just that Oshawa at eight. I feel like they could ascend those rankings a little bit, but that's how I've got it today. Of course, that's not how it's going to end, but that's what makes this stuff fun. And it's true. When you look at that, I'm thinking, hang on, Kingston, once again, to remind you, a team that thought it would have a team to host the Memorial Cup in 2024, a seventh place finish in the Eastern Conference. I I kind of like Oshawa. They're a wee bit of a dark horse to me, but really the, the Eastern Conference, I'll, 
I'll put it this way. I don't see a clear favorite. Obviously, we could make the case, but you started by saying you had Ottawa up there initially. I had Barry up there initially. I land on Sudbury. Finally, so do you. We can make case. Mississauga, you made a strong case for. Brantford, who knows? I could go on and on. I don't know that there's a clear favorite in the Eastern Conference, but without talking to one another ahead of time, we have both decided that the Sudbury Wolves are the team to beat. Well, that just, I mean, you hit it off, uh, on the head off the top of the show, Mike. Jackasses. <laughs> <laughs> that movie franchise has nothing on these two knuckleheads on the podcast. His name is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Send us an email anytime. Uh, chirp our picks. Send your own. You're welcome to play the game to OHL podcast at rogers.com. Uh, the OHL has come up with its power rankings for the first time. We'll analyze those and get into the Western Conference preview as we get you set. The season is just two days away. It's your final preseason into the season episodes of the OHL podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.